0: Go to our scripture reading this morning from Galatians chapter 5. Once again, again, a rather short passage, so we will read this together. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord, as we look over this list that you inspired Paul to write so many years ago, I know that every one of us can look at that list and find ourselves on it, Lord, none of us have done all of them, but all of us have done some of them. And Lord, it's just so good to know that though we are prone to wonder, we're prone to leave the God we love, that Lord, you take our heart. You always bring us back like a gracious father to a prodigal. You always bring us home. Father, though our sins are so many, your mercy is so much more. And so, Father, this morning, as we look into the understanding and explanation of this text, may we do so not as a person wanting to get beaten up, not as someone wanting to be prideful as we look at others and and name others. But Lord, may we look at this list by looking at you to know that these are all the things that you have forgiven us. Father, your mercy is so rich and so great, so powerful, so real in our lives. And I just pray, Father, that as we look to this text this morning, We would be reminded of what we were saved from. We will be encouraged to to live in a greater faithfulness to you. And Father, if there's those who are here this morning, as I'm sure there are who are struggling with something on this list, Lord, they will find the grace they need to forsake it and repent and trust in your full forgiveness and kindness. Move me aside. And may your word do its work on our hearts this morning. It is in your name we pray, amen. I may have told you before that my grandfather, my dad was kind of out of the picture, so my grandfather really had a lot to do with with raising me, and um, he was really kind of a father to me, more than a grandfather. And... um, but one of the things that he really, really tried to do was he tried as hard as he could to turn me into a country boy. Now, those of you who know me know that that was probably one of the biggest failures of his life. Um, I am too much of a Starbucks kind of guy. I'm too much of a a bookworm, I guess. You can be an outdoorsman and a bookworm. I don't know why people tend to put those two apart, but... uh, uh, my idea of roughing it is Holiday Inn Express, okay? I, yes, my family used to camp, but then they invented houses, and and uh, we've been doing pretty good ever since. So, uh, but one real vivid memory that I would have is that he would always take, a, take me to this little pond um, just between uh, Pine Bluff and Stuttgart. And I've told you about this pond before. I guess it was kind of a river that... That was really wide at this area. Uh, And and beloved, I I don't know exactly where it is. I don't wanna know. If death were a location, it would be this pond. I mean, it had like dead sticks, you know, sticking all out of it. It, uh, Snakes were everywhere. I do not like snakes. I can honestly tell you that if I were in the Garden of Eden, we would never sin because the second that snake said, hey, what's up, I would have been out of there. All right, so I just, I don't like snakes. And they were crawling all over the place. I mean, it was horrible. I, I, I don't know exactly where it is, but I have, no, and, and don't try to guess because I don't wanna know. I don't ever wanna go back there again. But when we would go to this pond, uh, it was, you know, he really couldn't do the, do the motor and because, uh, because he was afraid of getting it caught on something, which in my opinion should have been his first clue not to go there, but anyway. So, uh, so what he would do is he would tie a rope to the shore and anchor it, and we would tie it onto the boat and we would just push off into the lake. And we would be there for what seemed like an eternity. And, uh, and finally, uh, when he was ready to go, he would say, okay, Randy, push us in, pull us in. So I would take the rope. I would gladly pull us in. I mean, I would tug on that thing as hard as I could trying to get us out of that place. And, uh, and, I, and I've always thought about that, about, uh, about how I would take that rope. And even though there was real work involved, even though there was real exertion, guys, I would pull as hard as I possibly humanly could to get us out of that place. But even though I was pulling as hard as I could, what was it that was actually bringing us to the shore? It was actually the anchor that he tied onto. On the shore, right? That, that's what was really doing the work, even though there was still exertion that was involved on my part. And I've always thought that that is a, that is a really good illustration of sanctification, that is a really good illustration of becoming holy. Because you see, God is the one who makes us holy. He not only pronounces us holy, but in the process of sanctification, he is the shoreline, he is the anchor to which our souls are attached. He is the one who is making us holy and bringing us close to him. And yet there is still exertion, there is still effort and strenuous effort that is involved on our part. This is a, this is a wonderful mystery of the Christian life, that even though God makes us holy, we are still involved in this process. Now, we're not involved in justification. That is wholly a work of God. But in sanctification, yes, we are involved. And if you're you're not involved in this process, then you're not growing closer to the Lord. Sanctification should be the passion of every Christian. It should be the goal of every child of God to be more like Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Now, are we gonna do it perfectly? Of course not. Are we prone to wonder? Yes. Are our sins many? Yes. And praise God, his mercy is more. And yet still, the the passion of our lives, the passion of of our church is to make people holy. Holy is to help people in this process of becoming holy. Our goal is not for you to be happy with our church. Our goal for you is to be holy. And beloved, sometimes becoming holy is not gonna make you happy. In fact, sometimes it's gonna make you downright mad. But that's all part of the process. If you're serving a God who never bumps up against your opinions, who never disagrees with you, then chances are you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You're worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And so we want to, we want to uh, teach you how to be holy. We want to ground you in the faith. And for so many Christians, this is a mystery. So many times people come up and say, I want to grow in Christ. The desire is there, but they just don't know how and unfortunately it's 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 not a mystery it's not a secret god has told us how to do it best summarized in ephesians chapter 4 and i don't have these verses on the board so you might want to write them down ephesians chapter 4 which is to the right of galatians not to the left It says this, that um, if indeed you have heard Christ and have been taught in him, watch this, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, put on the new self. Those are the three basic ingredients of the Christian life. And they are all over the Bible, all over you won't find them in those exact words although you will in colossians chapter 3 but you won't find them in every that worded that way quite every time but like for example let me show you james chapter 1 in james chapter 1 in verses 21 and 22 he says here therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness what would that compare to to what paul just said That's putting off the old nature, right? Putting off the old self. And in humility, receive the word implanted. What would that be? That would be renewing the spirit of your minds. Then he says in verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of of the word and not hearers only. What would that be? That would be putting on the new self. See, it's the same thing. And by the way, we even find it in the Old Testament. Uh, The book of Psalms that is so instructional and so, that, that teaches us how to be intimate with God, how to grow in every human emotion with God. It is introduced in Psalm chapter one. And if you look in Psalm chapter one, it says, how blessed is the man or blessed is the woman who does what? Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. What would that be? That would be putting off the old nature, right? Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. What is that? That's renewing the spirit of your mind, right? Then in verse three, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. What is that? That's putting on. The new nature. See, so these basic instructions are all over the Bible. We find a, and, and I could, and I could give you several other examples. You won't find them in those exact words, but you find these basic uh, ideas all throughout the Scripture. That we put off, we deny the flesh, we crucify self, we are renewed in the Spirit of our minds, and then we put on Christ like fruit in our lives. And that's essentially what Paul is doing here. You remember last week, we talked about walking in the spirit. Now he's gonna go kind of backwards here, but walking in the spirit, what's he talking about there? He's talking about putting on the new self, which is created after Christ, walking in the spirit. And then here in verse 19 and 21, he's going to give us details of those things that we need to put off. These are things that are the desires of the flesh, that we need to deny in our Christian lives if we are going to grow closer to Jesus Christ. Justification is all over the book of Galatians. We must have that grounded. We must be in Christ. You cannot be like Christ unless you are in Christ. But once you are in Christ, it is our responsibility to become like Christ. And that's what we find. It's not a passive It's not letting go and letting God, as we talked about last week. It's not a once and for all surrender to God, which, by the way, is the reason why you never really hear me talking about things like rededication. No, that's why I don't talk about that. Uh, It's not a biblical word, number one. And number two, it's based off this assumption that once we give it all to God, he passively makes us holy and beloved. That's not what the scripture teaches and so instead, we teach this process, this repentance and faith. Repent, faith. Repent, faith. We, we, that's the process that the Bible teaches for becoming holy. And we're not passive in that. There is responsibility on our, on our part. Eternal security, yes, it takes away our fear, but it doesn't take away our responsibility. And so this morning, we're going to see that Christians, we must practice putting off the deeds of the flesh. And then next week, we're going to see how the Spirit grows us, the, the, the kind of the rewards, if you will, of putting on, walking in the Spirit, the fruit that God grows in our lives. And so, but we're going to see this in three implications of the text that we have here. And uh, again, the magic number three when it comes to sermons. So, so there you go. Uh, number one, let's look at this. First implication that we see at the very beginning in verse 19 is that we must recognize the deeds of the flesh. We must recognize their source. We must recognize their source. And here's what we see in verse 21. Excuse me, verse 19. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident." In other words, they are on full display. They are clear, they are manifest, And in some sense, the deeds of the flesh are obvious to all people. Everyone knows, you can look down through this list, and everyone knows that these things are wrong. You don't really have to be a a theologian, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this. Uh, We've got laws against some of these things, because everybody recognizes that they are wrong. You know, the Greek and Roman culture were producing these kind of lists all the time. Uh, the Galatians would have been familiar with this kind of vice and virtue list that, that Paul is giving because that was something we find an amples of those uh, all throughout the ancient Roman and all throughout the ancient Greek culture. Most people, and I think most of us in this room, would agree with Paul here that these things are bad. I think most of us would agree with that, right? Right? So why do we do them? Why do we do them? If we agree that these are the very things that put our beloved Jesus on the cross, then why do we do them? Because there is another sense in which these things are evident. The, the term here, evident, it, it means Displayed. It's, it's clear, it's made manifest, it's making clear. And what is it that they are making clear? What is it that they are displaying? We have to understand that this text is connected back to the text we looked at last week. And so when you look at verse 17, what does he say here? That the... Um, uh, that the um, Excuse Yeah, verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are in opposition to one another. These things are displaying, these things are making evident the desires of the flesh. First you have desire, then you have display. We do what we do because we want what we want. Every one of our actions, remember I mentioned last week that everything we do is a, a, um, is a carrying out of our greatest desire. I told you last week, I want to be healthy. My mouth wants a donut. Guess which one wins? Right? because we're always gonna carry out our greater desire. And so we've gotta recognize that the driving command of this passage, walking by the Spirit, so that you will not gratify the deeds of the flesh is describing the, contact that, the conflict that we experience. That conflict is between the desires that we all have, between the flesh and the Spirit. There's a reason why Paul begins by talking about the desires first, And then moving on to the actions. You see, most people in America, most people in our culture think that people are basically good. That we are born good or at best, we're born morally neutral. And most of the answers that the world provides, whether they be political, whether they be social, educational, even religious, they begin with that assumption That human beings are basically, at their core, inherently good. And if we would just improve all of these circumstances, we can solve all humanity's problems. You know, that's exactly what the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought. In Mark chapter 7, in fact, you might want to put your ribbon there. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees came to Jesus in verse 5. They saw the disciples that were eating and they did not wash their hands. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? See, they thought, just like we tend to think today, that it was something external that defiled us and we must cleanse ourselves from all the externals of the world and that way we will be clean. But that is not what the scriptures teach. That is not what it teaches. We are not morally good, we are not even morally neutral, but we are born with an inherent sin nature. We are born sinners. that is our true that is our true potential. that is who we are, Genesis chapter eight verse twenty one I won't turn there, but just keep that in mind where it says, where he sees that the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of him for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And by the way, that's after the flood that he said that. The flood didn't fix that. External judgment did not fix that. It's still there. Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. From our very conception, we are sinners. The human heart is naturally opposed to God. We're not morally neutral, we're not a blank slate. You didn't have to teach your kids to lie, did you? You didn't have to teach your kids to take what they wanted. They didn't have, you didn't have to teach your kids to steal. If you go into our nursery on any given Sunday morning, walk up to a kid playing with his toy, and you grab it and you take it, he's gonna look at you and he's gonna say, thank you so much, Brother John, for letting me practice self-denial to let you have the toy rather than me. I would sacrifice my desires so that you can be happy with the toy that I was playing with. Kid's not gonna say that, is he? What's he gonna say? Mine, <laughs> right? That kind of hurt. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, so I'm not young anymore. So uh, we're not morally neutral. We're not. In fact, Jesus, in answering the Pharisees in Mark seven, here's what he says, and. Jesus was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. For from within, from the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adultery, deeds of coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man, a list very similar to Paul's. And just as Paul, Jesus, three times says that these deeds proceed from within, from the heart. If if we improve our circumstances, all we will do is use our new circumstances to find new ways to sin. Better education will be smarter sinners. Better circumstances Financial circumstances will be richer sinners. In fact, money has a strange thing. Money has a way of revealing our idols because now we can afford them. And so it's not better money. It's not better education. It's not better circumstances. It's not better health. I'm not saying all those things are bad, they're not bad, but they will not save. They will not save. We should try to improve those things for others. Yes, we should, but they will not save. They will not save. And beloved, praise the Lord that we are a new creation in Christ. When Christ redeemed us, he made us a new creation. But we still live with our human flesh. We still live and must deny crucify our flesh, we must deny ourselves. So both Paul and Jesus are telling us that these following actions, they are the way in which the flesh tries to carry out its desires. And so if we want to forsake these things, we must forsake them at the heart level. We must forsake them at the desire level. Because if we don't, we'll just find a new way To meet those desires. And so it's not enough just to kill the fruit, we've got to kill the root so it won't grow back again. So that's a long term solution. But what's the short term solution? What happens when the desire of the flesh comes knocking? We recognize their source, but we must also resist their urge. We must resist their urge. And that's where we come to the bulk of the text. Paul lists like 15 deeds of the flesh here. And, uh, and I'm looking at the time already. I don't know where it's gone, but uh, we are not, I did not in any way plan to, uh, to make comments on all 15 of them. So uh, there's a couple that probably require a little explanation, but most of them are probably pretty self-explanatory. And so we're going to look at them basically just generally. A couple of things we do need to say about them up front, though, is that number one, this is not a complete list. And so Paul, at the very end, he said, and things like these. So, you know, the list, I mean, we could go, literally go on and on and on and on and on if we wanted to, and, uh, and we probably would never get to the end of it. I mean, look at the, look at the, the criminal code today. How many, how many volumes does the criminal code take, take up, uh, Tim? It's one, but it's, big. it's one, but it's about this big, right? I mean, my, my Bible's kind of that big, but it says a lot more than that. So anyway, so uh, I mean, we could literally be here for weeks if we wanted to do that. And so understand it's not an exhaustive list. And number two, it doesn't really seem to be in any kind of order. It's not an exact lens in the sense that you've got you've to try to find various little nuances in every single word. You don't really need to do that. There's a lot of overlap in these terms. It would be tempting to go by one by one, but really in all honesty, most exegetes, most commentators notice about four categories here that Paul gives us. And so number one, we see immoral pleasures. That's the first three, immoral pleasures. He says here in verse, beginning in verse 19, uh, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The first word, general term, pornea. You can imagine what terms we get from that word. Things like pornography and stuff. This is, this is essentially any kind of sexual sin, anything outside of marriage. Impurity is uncleanness. Sensuality is really the extreme of the other two. It's, it's completely letting go of all self-restraint. Unencumbered, unhindered, complete abandonment of socially or biblically acceptable behavior, complete unrestraint. That's what sensuality is talking about. So, that's one way that we seek to fulfill the desires of the flesh. The second way, the second thing we might use is religion. Religion in verse 20 it says in verse 20, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is really speaking of anything that we use to take the place of God, worshiping another God, worshiping God wrongly, according to our own desires, as opposed to his commands. Sorcery is really interesting because the word is pharmakia. What does that sound like? Pharmacy. Yeah, exactly right. It's actually the term we get pharmacy and pharmaceutical and those kind of words from. And, And what we think, it's only used twice in the New Testament, but what we think is that drugs were used to try to induce religious states and, and things like that. I, we think that's what they did. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell at times, but we know in, our own, in, the na- in the history of our own nation, we know groups that have done this. Uh, nat- certain Native Americans, uh, Charles Manson did this. I mean, just all kinds of things like that. So, but basically sorcery, the goal here is to manipulate their guides to get them to do their bidding, Beloved, we may not use drugs to do that, but we can do that sometimes with God, can't we? We try to manipulate God to get him to give us what we want. In fact, we're going to watch a whole movie about it this afternoon about people who do this. And so, again, the goal here is that we can definitely get in a mindset that God exists to make us happy. And then we manipulate him to try to get him to do it. So when you think of, far, when you think of sorcery, don't just, don't, just, don't just throw it out. Oh, I don't do that. Actually, we do sometimes. We do, the heart of it. Yes, we do. Number three, we corrupt relationships. We corrupt relationships. And this is really the heart. Paul says more about this than anything else. And uh, I think the reason why is because if you look up at what he said, Remember what we talked about a while back. We said that, um, that uh, you were called for freedom, verse 13, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but what? How do you know that you're denying the flesh? Through love, serve one another. And so what are the flesh actions that we see when it involves other people? I think we're seeing some of that here. Like for example, enmities, that is hostility toward another person. Strife, refusing to get along with someone. Jealousy, thinking that you deserve what other people have. Outburst of anger, this is explosive anger. Yelling, screaming, tantrum throwing and such. Disputes, this is open conflict. Dissension, this is causing conflict in a self-seeking kind of self-promotion. I want to promote self, and so I, dis- I, I cause the church to be in dissent. Factions, splintering the community, promoting disunity, or as we call it in Baptist life, getting on those phones, <laughs> right? We've done that, haven't we? Factions, envying, rageful jealousy, ill will toward another person. You'll notice just about all of these things promote self-promotion, self, selfish ambition, acting in our own interest against other people. The exact opposite that Paul says in love serving one another. They're actually the opposite of Christ. Number four, avoidance. Avoidance. When we abandon responsibility, we seek escape or to forget or lose control. It's in verse 21, drunkenness, carousing. And by the way, for drunkenness, I would include all sorts of inebriation or intoxication. You could, you could throw drugs in there, getting high, those kinds of things. Carousing has the idea of reveling. It's unrestrained indulgence or binges or raves. The the word literally means excessive feasting. You know, think Mardi Gras or Carnival, those kinds of things. All of these represent the flesh. No one does them all, but all of us do some. In some ways, we are all still struggling with the flesh. And when those urges come, they reflect our heart's desire for something more than God in our hearts, at least in that moment. Therefore, when we're tempted to do them, we must resist the urge to act in these ways. We must mortify them is what the Bible says. Literally choke them to death. Choke out the desire so that it has no more power in your life. That's what the word mortify means. Choking it out so that it has no strength over time. And beloved, the more you resist, the easier it will get over time, over time. And so... Resist the urge to do these things. When you're, when you're getting mad, you feel your blood pressure going up, and you're just ready to explode, resist the urge. Resist the urge when you're ready to, to make that phone call to say something divisive about another person. Resist the urge. When you just think, I can't take it anymore, and you're tempted to take out that bottle and, and start drinking, resist the urge. Find comfort in Christ instead of the bottle and you just want to let go and just be done with it all and, and just go out and unrestrained, partying, resist the urge. Resist the urge. Because we've got to remember their danger. We've got to remember their danger. Final point. In verse 21. What's the danger here? Paul says, I am warning you, just as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a warning. And I want to make very clear, Paul teaches perseverance of the saints or eternal security, whatever term you want to give to it. I I don't believe we can fall from salvation. But on the other hand, if our lives are characterized by those things, there's no reason to believe we're saved. Our lives will bear the fruit of our spiritual reality. Our lives will show, I can't judge your heart, but I can see your fruit. And Jesus says, by your fruit, they will know you. And if the fruit of our lives is unrepentant, habitual, continual, doing these things, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly saved? Are we truly saved? If we claim to know Christ, but our lives are still marked by pre-conversion carnality, there's been no change there's no conviction, and that's a problem. That's a problem. Paul is saying that the same sins that you needed to repent of when they heard the gospel in the first place are still the same sins that we need to resist in our Christian life. It does matter how we live. God does expect us to reflect Christ and every Christian ought to have that desire. The desires of the flesh are in opposition to the desires of the Spirit. Every single one of us should be feeling this opposition inside of us from time to time. And that's why we need to make a clear line of demarcation here, a clear line of delineation. Because most of your translations here are going to say those who do such things. And that's, that is an unfortunate translation. Yeah, I, th- I think even the ESV, my favorite translation, I think he even says that. And, and this is one place where I like the NASV better because the idea is not the occasional, um, is not the occasional endure- indulgence. It's not the occasional uh, failing to do what's right. The idea here is the continual, habitual, unrepentant practice of these things. That's why the NASB, I think, correctly says those who practice these things, not just those who do these things. Beloved, if you are a Christian but you have found that you're, you're thinking of things that you have failed in in this regard, you're maybe you're even thinking about something you did this week. Then praise the Lord because God is revealing that to you, and you are feeling conviction over it. Praise the Lord. If 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 that is you, then you're not the one we're talking about. But if you are the one who habitually does these things, who are constantly doing these things, an unrestrained fleshly desire to get what you want and you're willing to disobey God and walk over anybody and everybody to get your desires, then beloved, you better check your heart. Because that is not what Christ has taught you in the gospel. I'm warning you with the same kind of of tension that Paul is warning you here. And if you get mad at it, good, you need to be. If your life is characterized by these things and you are unrepentant about these things, you are you are willing to walk over anybody and everybody to get what you want and sin against God and man to get what you want, you better check your heart. You better consider whether you're in Christ. Because if your life is characterized by that, according to Paul, you're not. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Take the scriptures. But, on the other hand, here's a great hope. Here's a great hope. Look over to uh, 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Maybe it was 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I guess it was 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry. I always do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, just like I said. (laughs) I'll repent for that later. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's what Paul says. He says in verse 8, actually, he's saying... On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud? You do this even to your own brethren. Now look in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. It doesn't matter what they confess. What matters is the fruit of their lives. And he says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You say, Randy, where's the hope in that? Verse 11, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Beloved, you should be reading these verses in two ways. If you are someone who is not in Christ and you're finding yourself in this verse, then you should be wondering, you should be asking the Lord for the gospel. If you are someone who used to be characterized by these things, but now you're no longer characterized, beloved, you are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are, in Christ Jesus, such were some of you, but you were washed. You are not characterized by these things anymore. Your identity is that you are a child of God. And where though our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So what if I'm a Christian and I'm struggling with these things? Before the service, I I passed out a piece of paper and I I wanted to give you kind of a tool to leave with today. Um, I came up with this a while back uh, whenever I would, for counseling, whenever I would counsel someone they're struggling with sin and I would tell them to keep a biblical journal and it kind of hit me that they didn't really know how to do that and to be honest with you, I didn't really know how to teach them so I was praying about it and how to, how to find a process for them to do that's easy and I was literally driving home from Jonesboro and this came to my mind. If you're in my Sunday school class, you've already seen this. But uh, this is just a way to take the scriptures and use them to promote biblical change in your life, a practical kind of step-by-step and I've actually got another copy of it down here that's a half page. You can cut it and kind of slip it in your Bible if you want. But just whenever you are convicted of a sin that you have done, just remember word and prayer. Word and prayer. Number one, the W stands for word. I tried to come up with some other fancy W word that contained the scriptures, but I really couldn't. I guess it could have said writings, I don't know. But anyway, so the word is word. So that one ought to be first to remember. And and find a scripture that deals with a particular sin you're struggling with. If you need help, ask me. No questions asked. Ask Brother Stephan, one of our, Brother Art, Brother Roy, Brother Ken, any, any one of our mature godly men. They'll help you here. Or, you know, search Google. Nowadays, you can find good verses on Google. But reflect on that word Meditate on the passage. Write down some clear observations. And then the O stands for occasion. Write down circumstances. Write down what happened. And this is important. What were you feeling when those things happened? What, what emotions were, were carrying on? And this one is extremely important. What were you telling yourself about that? Were you telling yourself, I don't deserve this? Were you telling yourself I deserve respect? Were you telling yourself I deserve this or that? And the responses and the results you might write down based on the based on the verse you're working with. What is a self-driven response, and what were the results of that? What are some ways you could have responded? And then, what is a scripture-driven response based on based on uh, the scripture you're reading? And what do you think the results of that might have been? And then finally, D, decisions and motives. What did you actually do? Why did you do it? And what will you do different next time? And then, after all of that, you go to prayer. And there's three ways you can pray. Either A, pray for confession. Remember the the, the promise of John 1, 9. And by the way, you're probably gonna do that a lot more up front. Number two, pray for help to act differently next time. And as you see that sin diminishing in your life, you're gonna pray with thanksgiving, blessing the Lord for the help that he's given you to repent of that sin. So this is just kind of a practical tool. I literally came up with it on the road. I had to like record myself talking about it so I wouldn't forget. Um, Mark, I may send you a PDF this afternoon. We may put it up on the website or something. So just a, just a nice little tool you can put in your Bible as a way to take the word of God and bring it to real life and practically use it for real biblical change so that we can deny the flesh. Beloved, if you're God's child this morning, He is going to help you. He is going to help you deny the flesh. And if these are things that characterize your life, then it's definitely time to repent. Whether it's for the first time in your life and you're trusting Christ, or whether it's for the ninth time and you know you're a child of God, but you're still struggling with these things, God's going to help you. And there are great fruit that comes from trusting Him. And obeying. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful tools that you give us. Lord, I pray this morning as we have looked over these things that you will do your work in our hearts, that we will be more like Jesus Christ. Lord, as this wonderful spiritual sings, may we forsake the desires of the world. May we forsake everything that we want. May we be willing to give it all up. Take the world. Give me Jesus. Lord, you are enough. Help us to repent and trust and obey in you. Let's stand together and let's sing this wonderful spiritual